welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, someone I've been trying since, since this thing started, Bethany Cosentino is here, finally! Yes, that's right. Beth from Best Coast is on the show. Someone I've asked numerous times to come on this thing, and it's taken a while, but trust me, it is worth it. And I'm going to make you wait a little bit longer because first, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham, and guest booker extraordinaire, and he will get the message to me. You can also find him on facebook.com slash turnedoutapunk and Instagram, turnedoutapunk, and, and those places. But if you want to get in touch with me directly, you can find me on various forms of social media at left for Damien. If you want to support the show, and why wouldn't you want to support the show? The best way to support the show is by telling all your friends that you listen to it. And if you don't want to tell your friends, or if you've already told them, you can support the show by subscribing to it and rating it on your podcast listening to platform of choice. Also, you can support it by heading over to the patreon.com slash punk page, where there's a Patreon where we do uh, footnotes or some other bonus and secret weird episodes on there as well. Uh, you can support the show by doing that too. But speaking of support, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, do what you do, just, just don't lose money doing it, and have supported the show ever since, and I... I can't thank them enough for doing that. Thank you very much, Vans, for doing that for me here at the show. I think that's it. You know, we talk a lot now, so I don't think there's any news or anything to really to get to. Well, so let's just dive into this show. So I've known Beth for a while now. We've been friends for, God, over 10 years, I guess. Wow, time time flies. Um, and she's someone that I've loved catching up with whenever I saw her at festivals or tours or when they came to town or when we were in LA or wherever, wherever we met up and always liked to talk to her about pop punk stuff, punk rock and all this thing. So I knew when I started this thing, I had to have her on the show. And I asked her like five years ago to come on this thing and it, and it didn't happen. And then, you know, over the years, there's been other times where it was supposed to happen and whatever, for whatever reason, it never wound up happening. But guess what? Now we're all trapped at home, and and it finally can happen. No, I'm just kidding. She's busy. She's busy. Beth is one of the great songwriters to emerge from the period of, of indie rock, where I was certainly playing around a lot, and she just keeps putting out amazing record after amazing record. She, of course, is in Best Coast with Bob, who you can hear Bob Bruno on past episodes of Turn It Punk. He's been on two Yes, he was on the Punk Wrestling Connection one, and then we, of course, had his own episode as well. So you can check out the Bob episodes. But now we kind of complete Best Coast, because Best Coast really comes down to, you know, Bethany and, and working with Bob. And so here we are. And this is a good one. This is a really fun episode. Uh, she's great to talk to, an amazing songwriter, and, uh, and, and, and someone who can turn a Christian hymn into a pop punk song. Now, that's a skill that I don't know too many people that possess. Well, actually, I, I can name a few people that possess, but she's never really capitalized on that skill. Anyway, I'm not going to blather on anymore. You're going to hear all about this in a second. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Bethany Cosentino on Turned Out a Punk. <laughs> 
Bethany, thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. I, we were just saying, this is like years and years in the making. Literally years in the making. I'm in my fifth year, <laughs> and I think you're one of the first people I asked to come on the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I like to make people wait. It's part of my game plan. I, you know what? And I'm glad you did, because this is now <laughs> like, it, it, it's now something where I feel like I've, I've earned it, you know? And now I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> Five years in, I'm ready. I'm so stoked. No, it's really good to talk to you. Yeah, it's great to catch up. Like, it's funny how uh, sometimes I can, you know, use this podcast a way of, of catching up with friends that I haven't seen in a very long time. So it's like it serves a dual purpose, this thing. Yeah, I love it. Friendship and punk. Friendship and punk. And ultimately, <laughs> that's really all I have in my life. So <laughs> I mean, that's truly all we really need is what it seems. It is. It is the, it is the renewable resource of our times. But I got to start this <laughs> off. The way I start them all off, which is, Bethany, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? So I grew up in basically like a really, like just a suburb outside. I grew up in LA, but like technically in this little suburb called La Crescenta, which is like up at the top of Glendale, which is like a huge city in LA. And um, everybody was like really into sports, like pretty much all of my peers. I even played softball for like a while, but it's a very like pretty square kind of like, you know, upper middle class, just like nobody really had any like unique taste or interests. And so there was a, there was a record store that was like kind of like right in the center of everything called Tempo RIP. It's no longer there. Um, it hasn't been there for like years and years, but Anyway, I, uh, I met my very, very best friend in like, I think it was maybe like the seventh grade and we just sort of became friends. And then we would like go do these unchaperoned walks around our little town and we'd go to the record store mm -hmm. and we, for whatever reason, like we were both really, cause again, kind of keep in mind at this time, we're both sort of like squares that play softball. And there was like this guy that worked at the record store who was like just the hottest like punk dude with like fully like dyed black hair, like definitely did not have black hair. Like, <laughs> you know, it was definitely like a blonde, but just like full dyed his hair black and like would wear like social distortion T-shirts. And we were like, what is this? Like, what kind of person is this? And we would very much only look at the records that he would like suggest under like, you know, employee picks or whatever. Mm -hmm. And all of his records were like Punkorama compilations. And so we, <laughs> we just started like buying that shit. And I don't, I wish I knew this dude's name. I like cannot remember his name, but like, it's basically that guy is the reason that I got into punk because we just wanted to be different. Cause we lived in this small town where everybody was just, like I said, that, you know, everybody wore like Quicksilver and like skateboarded and surfed, but not, didn't really have any like cool, unique interests. So when we sort of like discovered punk and discovered Punkorama and like Epitaph and Fat Records and like all this shit, we were just like, what the hell is this world? This is so cool. And then sort of through that is where pretty much like my whole interest in music and going to shows and all of that just sort of stemmed from that hot guy at the record store when I was like 14 years old. <laughs> I wonder if this guy knows the role he's played in modern <laughs> music history. <laughs> like, he I has mean, no idea. I know he has no idea. I've talked about this, this particular man a few times in like a couple different interviews I've done over the years. And like, 
everybody is always like, do you think he knows? I'm like, there's no fucking way he knows. (laughs) Like, there's no way he knows. But he seriously was like, you know, well, it was that. And then it was also a mixture of like, of course, at that time, I was also like, it's really funny. It's actually pretty funny. Like, boys are what got me into it. Because all the guys that I like had crushes on were like skaters. And like, I would like, you know, find these like, guys in like because I grew up pretty religious like my parents forced me to go to church and shit and Mm -hmm. I um I would like talk to the cool like skater guys at church and they were like one dude would be wearing like a strung out t-shirt and I was like what is you can wear that at church like what is that (laughs) and so it was kind of through again like cute boys in my town that I like discovered music and then again sort of like took what I knew and just ran with it and me and my best friend Jessica got like heavily into our own shit but that was sort of like you know the tip of the iceberg where the the cute skater boys so prior to getting into sort of this stuff were you into like music before that yeah I mean I my dad's a musician so I grew up like I grew up around musicians and around music and I started singing like super early and my dad bought me a guitar when I was 13 and I started to kind of like fuck around on that and so I was into music but like I didn't have cool taste like my favorite band my first favorite band was Hanson and I had like every square inch of my bedroom was plastered in like Hanson posters (laughs) and then quickly after that my favorite band became Blink-182 so it was just like I kind of like transferred my obsession with the like pop brother boy band with like pop punk cool guys. <laughs> so it was like, I just traded one obsession for the other. Hanson's a pretty badass pop group to get into though. Cause they're writing their own songs and they're, they're, they're kind of killer power pop. Oh, they're so good. I mean, when I, I, it's so funny. Cause like, I'm not like embarrassed by that. I feel like sometimes people will be like, well, what, what, you know, what was your first favorite band? And I'll say Hanson. And sometimes he'll be like, Ooh, I'm like, no, who cares? Like, I'm one of those people that doesn't believe in guilty pleasures either. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just like, whatever I like, I like it. But I will never forget the first time I saw the Mbop music video on MTV. I was like hanging out with my dad, like in our den and it came on and I was like, what is this? This (laughs) is the, the best shit I've ever seen. And to be fully honest with you too, that was really the first time that I ever saw like, people around my own age, because Zach, the drummer, was pretty much my age. Mm-hmm. I had never seen people my age, like, play their own instruments. Like, I really had, I in my mind, it was, like, all my dad, my dad's aged people and my dad's friends. Like, those are people that played music. So once I sort of, like, got out of the Hanson phase, got into the, like, punkorama epitaph shit, I started to see, you know, a lot of those guys were, were older than me and a lot of those women were older than me. But again, I started to see people sort of like closer to my age making music. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. I never knew that like young people could do this. I thought it was like old rockers only. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first concert you ever went to? The first concert I ever went to was 311 and Jimmy's Chicken Shack at the Hollywood Palladium. My dad took me and my best friend Jessica, the same girl that I got into punk with. And then after that, I started going to like, uh, I started going to like punk shows and my parents would like drop us off and sort of like, we went to see, um, fuck, we went, who was it? I want to say it was like the Vandals and my parents dropped us off and my mom straight up went and got like a tattoo on the Sunset Strip. Like (laughs) while we were at, I know she like came back and like pulled her shoulder, like pulled her like shirt off her shoulder she's like look what I did and I was like no fucking way you went and got like 
a heart, like a tattoo, a heart with wings tattoo while your your daughter was at like a punk show, <laughs> <laughs> like the full banger sisters. <laughs> I think as a parent, like, you know, now being a parent myself, like, yeah, that would be like such a, you know, like a, a weird moment of, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm really old now because my kids <laughs> doing cool shit that I don't know nothing about. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, my parents were both always like, again, my dad being a musician, like, they were always pretty cool. They always, they always had like, cool interests. They always had cool friends. My mom's also like a designer. She's always been like a really creative person. And so I I grew up around, like, I didn't grow up around, um, you know, the town I lived in was definitely pretty square. But like, my parents were always sort of the kind of like, cooler ones that my other friend's parents would be like, what is the deal with your parents? Your dad's covered in tattoos and has like a ponytail. And I was like, well, yeah, my parents are like rockers. So what kind of music yeah, did your dad play or play? Does he play? So my dad at the time was in, he was in like a couple different bands that were basically like top 40 cover bands. So they would play at like, um, they would play at like different clubs and bars around town. And then, now he does, he's still like in cover bands, but now he does um, this band called Woody and the Longboards, which is the Eagles and Beach Boys, like hybrid. They're sick. <laughs> That's awesome. They're sick. I went to see them last year on Father's Day and they were really cool. But but my parents had sick taste in music. Like every weekend my parents would be listening to like Steely Dan and like Fleetwood Mac and, and that sort of like, you know, where my, my, really intense knowledge of like uh 70s like yacht rock shit came from is because Mm -hmm. it's like all my parents listened to and you mentioned earlier kind of going to church and meeting some kids at church was it like through youth group stuff yeah yeah so i was actually in my church had like a a church band that i was in and it was basically like all these like pop punk versions of chris of christian songs so we would like we would basically like get together on Thursdays, me and the like four dudes in the church band. And then there was one other girl that sang with me and we would like straight up take like, Lord, I lift your name on high and like turn it into a punk, like a pop punk song. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Are there <laughs> recordings of this? There, I'm sure my parents like filmed it at some point. It was like, it was, it was so fucking fun though. Like I didn't, I had no interest in like the the God part of it. Like I would just straight up go because it was like on Thursdays they had like we had band practice and then we would have like there'd be like uh, skateboarding and everybody would just kind of like hang out and talk about whatever our interest and like barely God. Like we would just be like, oh, yeah, we just like we come here so we can like play in this fun band together. Um, and then there were like a few of the guys that were in the band with me had their own band and they would like play backyard shows. So I would like start going to that. And then it was around that time that my mom was kind of like, what are you doing? Like all you do is hang out with like boys in backyards. I was like, yeah, mom, I'm into fucking punk. Leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) And were they, were they all into like secular stuff or were they, you know, obviously they're saying, you know, they're not talking about God um, during the youth group, but or or is it like tooth and nail and that kind of punk too? We were definitely like into tooth and nail stuff. Like I, part of the way that honestly I got away with like being able, cause I remember when I got really into like the punk Rama compilations, my mom would like come into my room and straight up be like, what are you listening to? Like, this is not, which again, like that shit is not, it's not crazy 
like thrashing hard punk, you know? So she would like come in and be like, what is this? Turn this down. Like, this is not good stuff. And part of the way that I sort of like was able to like listen to punk really loud was if I was like, Oh, can I get this like MXPX record? And I would like show her, I'd be like, but they're, but it's like Jesus punk. And my mom would be like, Oh, okay, sick. And she would like buy it for me (laughs) and sort of like, let me listen to, to like tooth and nail and like, you know, MXPX, like hella loud in my bedroom because it was like serving a purpose of Jesus Christ, you know? It's almost like punk rock camouflage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just had to pull it over to hide. <laughs> um, so where'd you kind of go? Like you mentioned the Vandals show. Um, like where'd you, actually, before we go there, who the hell were Jimmy's Chicken Shack? Okay, Jimmy's Chicken Shack was like this band. They had a huge hit called What Do I Do? That was like, it, they must not have ever made it out of the U.S., but this song, <laughs> the so. song was like really popular. It was like on K Rock like every second of every day, and I don't really remember like anything about them other than this one song. What do I do? But like I do remember the guy, the drummer, like threw his drumstick out into the audience, and the girl next to me caught it, and I was like so pissed. I was like, <laughs> "What the fuck?" But it's like so funny because I didn't really care about Jimmy's Chicken Jack. So it's pretty funny that I like desperately wanted the drumstick. <laughs> what I really went to see was 311, you know, so. Was like Jimmy's Chicken Shack in the same sort of like reggae rock style as 311 or are they like doing a completely different thing? Uh, it was like, it wasn't really reggae rock, reggae rock from what I can remember, but like it, it was almost like a little bit ska. Like mm-hmm. it was almost kind of like ska vibes, but like less than Jake style ska. You know, like mm-hmm. sort of like a, a watered down kind of version, not straight up like specials. But it, I mean, it was cool. Like at the time I was like, again, anything that wasn't mainstream to me at that time was like so like my mind was blown by it. I was just like, I don't understand how these people make this music that sounds not like Christina Aguilera. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and And especially like at that moment, too, there's just like a lot of bands that were kind of having like one hits, you know, like yeah. Jimmy's chicken shack and like Macy's Marcy's playground, all these bands that were yeah, kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. just, you know, and, and three eleven though, that they seem to have some, some staying power for their one hit. Oh yeah. I mean, three eleven is like still tours and still yeah. does like wild amounts of stuff. You want to know a funny three eleven connection. My, so three eleven is from Omaha and my parents are both originally from Omaha and they, moved out to LA because my dad was a musician and like, you know, moved here to try and like make it big. And it was, he had the whole like move from the Midwest to LA sort of like aspirational dream. And the drum shop that my dad was like frequenting when he was out in Omaha, the guy, like my dad's, one of my dad's best friends, or I don't really know the story, but basically there's like a connection where like my dad at one point, gave Chad from 311 like a drum lesson or something. <laughs> so when 311 came, when my dad took me and my friend Jessica to that show, I remember him being really like, we might be able to get backstage because of the Omaha connection. And of course it didn't happen. Like my dad was not, had no pull to get us backstage at 311, but it was pretty sweet that he thought he might be able to. Oh, I- <laughs> Well, I would, you know, that Omaha connection should have been stronger on 311's part. I know it's true. It's so true. You know the smoke buddy thing that people can, you can exhale through to cover up the smoke 
in bathrooms and things like that. Like it's like a, a thing for smoking weed. Mm-hmm. And it's like based off a gas mask. Apparently 311 owns the patent for that. Wow. That's what I heard. And and you know what? I would imagine they would have been smoking a lot of weed in hotel rooms. So it wouldn't uh, surprise me if that was true. For sure. That show was like pretty that show was honestly the first time I ever got high because it was so <laughs> much like secondhand smoke. My dad's literally like my dad's a big stoner like he always has been since I was a kid like he's just always smoked weed and um I remember that show like he him being very much like I gotta get you girls out of here like there's too much (laughs) weed and he was like try everywhere he was trying to take us was like filled with weed and Jessica and I both were like we feel funny like this is pretty (laughs) so I was like accidentally hot boxed at the 311 Jimmy's Chicken Shack concert at like 13 years old. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, so I guess this is kind of happening at the same time you're getting into the punk rock stuff too, right? Yeah. So around that time was, so one of the albums, one of the bands that I discovered through this like cute guy at tempo was operation Ivy and operation Ivy was sort of like, that was kind of the band that just made me like, I, I, truly was just like, this is the coolest shit I've ever heard. It was the thing that sort of inspired me to like play the guitar because I was just like, holy shit. Like, again, like I was like, oh, these songs are pretty easy. Like I can figure these chords out. And then it was after that, that I started taking guitar lessons. So Operation Ivy was sort of like the band that like, when I got into Op Ivy, I was just kind of like, okay, now I'm going to go in like every direction. They're like, you know, uh, you know, even more than Green Day and The Offspring, like I think they were the band that, like, once you kind of got past that like outer membrane of mainstream music, they were like the ultimate kind of on ramp to punk. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's so funny too because I like will put on Op Ivy like every so often. I'll just be like, okay, I want to like listen to this. I fucking remember every single <laughs> yes. song. Yeah. Like those songs are straight up so catchy. They have great melodies. They have super memorable riffs like that shit is fucking good mm-hmm. i i kind of think tim armstrong you know obviously there's you know jesse and everyone else yeah, yeah, that yeah. Too, but like just like as like a songwriter he's got to be like one of the best like songwriters to emerge from punk just because like he's like a, a dylan-esque guy where you can kind of hear him yeah. in every band he does it's true yeah i mean that's to me is something that i've always found to be so interesting about that kind of like subgenre of punk is like because I think when people say pop punk they think of you know they think of like different bands but to me it's like I think of bands like Op Ivy, Rancid, Green Day, Blink-182 like these bands that very much had these fucking like just hearty pop melodies sort of like put in between this sort of like punk um kind of just like format you know Mm -hmm. so it's like I've just always really loved that stuff because they're earworms and that's really what like that's my favorite part about music and songwriting my on like on my own is melody so like when I hear something that sticks with me I'm like this this is the fucking shit and those songs especially like you know the huge rancid hits like you hear those songs once and you can't get it the fuck out of your head yeah and to me that's like the ultimate test of being a good songwriter is a fucking catchy melody yeah, no, it's it's that chorus that, you know, like, especially on, like, an Outcome of the Wolves record where you're like, God, mm-hmm. every single song's got a chorus like that. hmm Yeah. Where did you kind of go after um, that Vandal show? Like, or actually, so did your band play any shows, your first band that you were kind of messing around with? 
Um, <laughs> the Christian pop punk band. I mean, yeah. we just played. We just played like at the you know at youth group and shit. And then and then the first band I was ever actually in. So this is kind of jumping ahead, but like when I was around uh, probably like eighteen. I met um, I met all the girls in Mika Miko. And so when I met all of those girls and sort of like came in to be a part of this sort of like L.A. DIY smell punk scene, that was when I really like wanted like that was sort of around the time that I was like, I want to be in a punk band. I want to tour like that sort of when the fire was lit under me. And I had a band called Wake Up San Francisco that was like me, Kate Hall from Mika Miko, Jesse Clavin from Mika Miko and now Bleached, and then Randy Randall from No Age. Mm. And I think Dean and Jennifer were in it for a second too, but it was like, <laughs> it was this sort of like disco punk kind of band because it was very much of like that era. And I was the singer and I had like a crazy haircut at the time. And that was kind of like, for me, that was sort of like the first band I ever played in, which like, I mean, we played like one or two shows, but it was still like, I was like, fuck yeah, like I'm in a punk band now. Like, this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess going back before that, jumping back a bit, where'd you kind of go after that Vandals show? Like what was like, like, you know, was it, did you find that kind of smell scene right away or did that take a little bit of time? I guess it's not there right away. Or no, it's not, the smell scene took me a while to find. After the Vandals shit, I was really into like, drive through records and I was really into like I loved like the Ataris and I really liked um I was really into like it that period for me was so bizarre because I was like really into like Lagwagon, the Ataris, essentially anything off the Tony Hawk Pro Skater soundtrack. But then at the same time I was also getting really into like Saddle Creek records and like really into like kind of like a folk pop sort of vibe. Mm -hmm. Um and then and then it, when I got, when I sort of reached, I was just kind of like riding all these different waves of music and sort of like, that was really around the time I was discovering independent music. So I was discovering labels like Sub Pop and Saddle Creek and Drive Through Records and like all these labels that I, you know, again, my only real knowledge of music from a young age was like the shit my parents listened to and then like Hanson and shit on MTV. So when I started to discover sort of like this more independent music scene, I was very intrigued by that. And I thought it was so cool that people could be in bands, but didn't, but like weren't on the radio and weren't on MTV and like, you know, didn't have that same sort of support that I saw sort of from these like more mainstream bands that I was into. So that, and that was also again, very much in the like Napster days. So I would just go and I would just download like hella music and like fully like blow up my parents' computer with like viruses and just like way too much stuff. And then that sort of like got me to, it, it, it just like, I swear it was just like, I just started to explore shit. And then I landed on like TSOL and crass and like, I had a boyfriend in high school whose favorite band was Propagandi. So he got me into Propagandi. And then through that, I got into like the weaker thens and just like every project that every one of those people were involved in. It was just kind of like a fucking Candyland board game of like music. And I was just navigating from like one side of like, you know, <laughs> I was just seriously like my taste was so all over the place. Like it always kind of has been. So it was just like this this very wild board game. And then I just sort of landed at around 18 at The Smell. And that was really when I like 
got super into like the idea of making of like being in bands and doing that whole thing. Were there any DIY bands or not DIY bands necessarily, but bands kind of around your age or local bands that you were seeing playing some of these bigger shows then? Um, I, I mean, prior to the smell stuff. Well, okay. So my boy, the same boyfriend that I was talking about that got me into propaganda, he played in this band and his band opened for yellow card went before yellow card was like huge. Mm-hmm. And it was at this rec center in, um, La Cunata, which is like the, the town next to where I grew up. And it was so funny. Cause like yellow card was like not famous. And I remember being at this show and I was like, what the fuck is this band? Like, there's just a dude that plays like the violin. Like, <laughs> violin. What is happening? <laughs> like, I was just like, this is so confusing. So that was like, and then I remember like years later when the Ocean Avenue song came out, I was like, no fucking way. Like I saw the band play to like 50 people at a rec center. Um, And that was kind of like, so that was sort of the only real exposure I had to that. I mean, aside from that, I was going to like mostly shows at like the Palladium and like the Knitting Factory and which is no longer around. But like I was going to see sort of like, you know, shows that like my mom had to like buy me tickets for off of Ticketmaster and then like drop me off. It felt like going, you know, like playing shows, but like before we know, we, I don't know, before we found out about the smell um, mm-hmm. in LA, even just to see shows, it felt like, you know, there wasn't like, also it was huge and there were a lot of little scenes happening, but there wasn't like a centralized focus scene. Like there would be a few years later with the smell where, it just felt like a lot of the attention was there and it was sort of like a, a bit of a gathering point for a lot of people into punk. Yeah. Well, there was also this venue in the Valley called the Cobalt Cafe and they had a lot of, they had a lot of like DIY shows and, and a lot of like punk and hardcore shows. And I would go out there a lot too, because I had a lot of friends that lived out in the Valley. So I would like drive out there and then I was like getting way too drunk, like, super young and like getting kicked out and then base and then that was like too far so then all those kids started to go to the smell and so I was like okay I guess we're now going from like the valley to downtown and I will never forget the first time I ever asked my mom to take me to a show at the smell I'm an only child so it was like my mom was like the most overprotective and anything I did was like well I'm taking you and I was like all right whatever she drove me by it and she was like no there's no way I'm letting you come here. Cause this was also at a time where downtown wasn't like what it is now. Cause now it's very, it's still seedy, but like, it's so different. And it's so like, you know, it's not the downtown that it was when I was a kid. So my mom like drove me by it and was just like, no fucking way. Like, there's no way you're not allowed to go to shows here. And then of course, you know, I like called my friend like the following weekend was like, pick me up. And then I just started like secretly going to shows there. And that was like, my whole world changed when I started going to shows there. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's funny. Cause so many people have come on the show and, and that, that scene has become like one of those fabled scenes. And it felt mm-hmm. like it was, even while it was happening, it was kind of a fabled scene. Yeah. I mean, I think it was like, so like you said, it's like LA is such a massive city and there was so much like, you know, especially in that sort of early two thousands era, like, there was so much fucking cool music and there were so many different scenes and there was so much going on in the world. And there were no real venues in LA that weren't like either your choices were basically like a house party or a backyard show, or your band needed to be big enough to play like the Troubadour or the knitting factory or like whatever these venues were. So 
when I sort of like realized that there was this venue where it was like, you paid $5. It didn't matter how old you were. Like anyone could go. It was just fucking dirty and like smelly, literally called the smell because (laughs) it smelled like shit. And like, there was shady ass fucking stuff going on in the alley. Like it was like a life that again, keep in mind, I grew up in this very suburban, like everybody was, you know, square as fuck. Like for me, it felt like I was living in some sort of like documentary about like punk in the seventies. Like I was like, this is the coolest shit in the world that I get to be a part of this. And I felt like the cool, like I truly felt like the coolest kid ever because I was just like, Oh my God, like I get to be alive in a time in which this is going on. And you know, it, it fully like shaped me and made me who I am. And I think it made me, it made me have such an appreciation for like, for being a musician because it's like, I started at that level and I've like worked my way up sort of to the level that I'm at now. And I think it's just, I always feel like having grown up in a punk scene and having grown up in a DIY scene, like it really makes you a fucking humble person. I think when you see a lot of like these bands that sort of go straight to the top, like they're lacking that sort of experience that you get when you start out at like a punk sort of sleeping on the floor kind of level. You know what I mean? Mm Oh, a hundred percent. So I'm like really grateful that I got to experience that before I even started playing like before Best Coast even started, like it was just cool that I got that as a teen because it sort of like hardened me up in this way and just made me like just honestly like stoked to be alive and stoked to be a part of something. Mm-hmm. Who was the first band you saw at The Smell? Was it Miko Miko? I think it was probably, um, no, I think the first time I ever went to The Smell, I want to say it was like to see The Locust or something. Like I definitely went to see like a ton of 3-1-G bands play there mm-hmm. and um and that was kind of like what got me in and then i i then i met Mika Miko kind of just from going to shows there was that before cuz they they kind of banned hardcore shows there for a long time after a drop dead show uh, once again this is according oh. to legend so who knows <laughs> how true this is (laughs) like well there's this like legendary dystopia show that happened there that that i was at. not drop dead i'm sorry dystopia no i mean it's fine i mean (laughs) i was at that show and it was fucking crazy it was so crazy it was like (laughs) it was the craziest thing ever to the point where i was like i'm gonna die here my mom is gonna fucking kill me that i died at this venue she told me not to go to it was like it was so crazy there were so many people there were like there was like a riot. People were like banging on the door. It was, it was nuts. It was like, it was nuts. But, but early on there was really, I mean, there were like, Jim always had rules. It was always like, you know, you couldn't, I mean, not that any of us followed them. Cause I was like lucky to be one of those kids that just like, I walked in like Jim was just like, Oh yeah, Bethany's here with like the Mika Mika girls, like just let him in. And we would fully like, you know, he was like no drinking. And we would like get shit faced and do all the things that like, you know, we weren't supposed to be doing, yeah. but, um, but yeah, I mean like in the early days it was like ev- every band played there. It was like all the rowdy the Blood Brothers, the Locusts, like all that shit was happening at the smell all the time for fucking five dollars. Mm-hmm. And then after Dystopia, though, that kind of changed a little. Well, like maybe just like no more, uh, no more like super crust <laughs> vibe shows. The crust, the crust shows kind of stopped. I don't really remember. I mean, I do remember there was like there was like maybe like a bit of a lull 
because I think it, they got in trouble. They got in trouble with like the city. There was definitely like some weird shit happened and we all kind of like, but then it was like everybody's, if the smell wasn't happening, you would just go to like, there was this punk house called H house and you would go to shows there mm-hmm. or you would go to shows that like Dean and Randy had a house. Dean and Randy from no age had a house and like, they would have shows like in their fucking kitchen and there would be like, you know, like a, like someone would just be like crowd surfing through the kitchen <laughs> or you would like go down to San Diego and see shows in like San Diego punk scene, or you'd go to orange County and go to like chain reaction. It was like that time there was just a place like every weekend there was somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like, I remember, once again, going out there to play a show, I remember going out for dinner after the show with some, some like hardcore kids. And then, you know, some, some, I think Michelle from Mikamiko was there mm-hmm. and there was like the hardcore kids were like, yeah, we're not allowed to play the smell. They don't, <laughs> they ban hardcore. And, and like, and it was like a heated kind of divide, not heated, but like there's a divide. It felt like, Oh shit. Oh shit. Was that, but like, that. was, so was like, was that something you noticed at all? Um, Not really. I mean, I think I was always kind of more, I just honestly, at that time, like I just did whatever, because Kate Hall, the drummer of Mika Mika was like my best friend and we were roommates at the time. And Mm -hmm. so whatever, whatever show she was going to go to that weekend, like I was like, okay, I'm down. Or if it was like a Mika Mika show, I'd go to the, I was literally at that period, like at every Mika Mika show, I was like the, I was literally like, the number one Mika Miko fan and was at every show and had a, a like really tiny hoodie that I would wear that had a Mika Miko back patch. And then the front was a TSOL patch that I, of <laughs> course, awesome. that I of course sewed on with dental floss. Cause that's <laughs> how you have to do it. That's yeah, punk. Um, but I don't, I mean, I don't really remember there being like a divide between hardcore. I almost feel like at that time it was just like, if you were just a person that felt like you identified in that scene, it you were pretty accepted. Like mm-hmm. it was just kind of like everybody was just down to like party and support each other and hang. And, and it was just like truly the most fun. And I, I think the thing that's amazing about that scene is like, you know, and obviously lumping yourselves into that scene as well or yourself in that scene as well. Like no one sounds the same at all. No, 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 no. It was, no, it was so cool. It was like, there were so many cool bands. There were like, you know, there was like Mika Miko who had their own very distinct sound. And then there was like, you know, Jenna from Mika Miko was in a different band called like Silver Daggers that had like a sick sound that, you know, where she played like saxophone. And then there was like this, like bands, like there was this band called My Little Red Toe and they were sort of like twee. And then there was Abe Vigoda, which was kind of like Tropicalia and like, it was just so cool because exactly like none of the bands really made sense together, mm-hmm. but at any given night you could see them all kind of like on a bill in someone's yard or at the smell. And it was just, again, sort of like this uniting, um, honestly, if we want to get cheesy about it, it was like true unity. It was like true unity of punks. It was just like, no one cared what kind of music you made or what you looked like or what you dressed like. It was just like, if you feel like you want to be here, like you can fucking be here. And that was like such a cool part of it. And I think really what made me love, like now when we tour, you know, we always try to take bands on tour with us that don't necessarily fit our same sound. And that's probably part of why Bob and I love to do that so much because we really like grew up so much in that scene of just like every, everybody just fucking doing what they wanted to do together in one room. 
Mm-hmm. And it was also like in, once again, this is probably not the same once you're involved in it, but externally, it seemed like such a positive scene. Like it seemed like very little infighting, like it seemed like people were trying to big each other up. And oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's not, it wasn't always the case in other scenes I've been to and <laughs> been involved in. It was definitely really, I mean, it definitely was really like positive and it was like a lot of you know like everyone was walking around with their like pma shirts on like their handmade like pma shirt and like it was just a really <laughs> like fun scene of just being especially for me because at that time i was like i was super young and it was just like like i didn't have a fucking care in the world it was just like i lived in a tiny apartment i like you know made just enough money to pay my rent and like you know i was just like driving around in my Ford Focus with like my misfit sticker and like Bush was president. So it was like, fuck Bush. Like everybody was just like out here, like revolting against the man and having the time of our lives, getting wasted at house shows and at the smell and just like living the true punk dream. It was so much fun. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, what was it like that moment though, when, when everyone kind of descended upon that scene? Like it felt like there was a media kind of like feeding yeah. frenzy at a certain point, and it must have it must have changed a little bit. It was funny because you know I so so for me pretty much like after that whole after my whole kind of like you know being the basically the like Nika Miko groupie phase, I I then sort of like segued into almost this like kind of like I became sort of a part of this LA noise scene because I was in this band called Pocahontas that was like. Uh, a drone kind of band and I got really mixed in with sort of like that scene. And then I did that for a while. And then I left LA and I moved to New York because I was just like, fuck all of this. Like, I'm just going <laughs> to do the, the craziest opposite thing and like go back to school. And I moved to New York and like started going to school. And, um, and then when I came back and the, you know, the smell was very much still going strong while I was gone and I was watching it all happen you know, there was no like Instagram or anything. It was like MySpace and Facebook. And so I was watching things happen, um, from afar. And then when I came back, I started Best Coast and, you know, Best Coast, Best Coast took off pretty quickly. And Bob and I were like, kind of like out, out there, like on tour. And around that time, the smell was very much still thriving, but thriving kind of in a different way. And I will never forget like going to Europe for the first time. And like every journalist asking me like, so what is the smell like? And I was like, this is bonkers that like some French dude is asking me in like a basement of the venue I'm about to play, like what the smell is like, like, because again, sort of like when I was living in it, it felt like our special secret. It felt like our thing. It felt like the scene that we had all like fallen into that was just for us. And then to suddenly like years down the line to be touring in my own band like doing my own thing. And then to have these reporters asking me like what it was like and seeing it in like magazines and shit. I was like, what the hell? Like, it was just so crazy how it sort of like took the world by storm in this way that I don't think anybody expected. And I really think that has a lot to do with, you know, bands like no age and and bands that sort of like blew up and very much like repped the smell and even like Best Coast, like we talked about it a lot too, because it's like, mm-hmm. that's how I met Bob. I met Bob through that scene and, and we would have never been a band had we not kind of all connected in that way 
Um, cause that was sort of like the part of like where our Venn diagrams crossed was like the smell. It was sort of like the scene that we were both a part of having come from these completely different lives and Bob being several, several years older than me. Like, it was really interesting that that was sort of like where we came and where we blended together. And so it made a lot of sense for it to sort of become this large part of our story. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, and, and once again, it's that, like you're saying, it's this sort of place where different scenes came together. Like, you know, you had, and I guess because there is no one defined Sonic too, it just mm-hmm. brought a lot of different types of people there. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's still, it's still kicking it. Like it's still there and there's yep. definitely still shows. And I went to a show like maybe two years ago and I hadn't been there since, I mean, I truly hadn't been there or that's not true. Best Coast pl- has played there a few times, or I think we played there maybe once. And then we did a benefit at a different place for the smell, but I hadn't been there in years. And it's like, you know, it's still the same place. It's like, it's been upgraded. There's a different bathroom. It's like a little, it's nicer, but it's still the same place. And it was really cool too, because there were like young kids working the door doing the job that like I used to do. And there was like a kid behind the snack bar and I, I see it. And I'm like, Oh, like this, that used to be me. Like I used to make vegan macaroni and cheese on Fridays and like pack it up in my car and drive downtown and like stand behind the snack stand and like sell my homemade vegan mac and cheese. Like that was like what I did. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Cause like, I, you know, obviously I went there, uh, later and played there later, but like mm-hmm. even I went there a few years ago and it was amazing going back there and seeing like a whole new scene. Like it was almost like going to an old high school and seeing yeah. like a whole new crop of, of kids there. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's really, it really is, you know, it's so cool that given how much downtown has changed and how much sort of just like music in general has changed, like it's so cool that it's still around and that it's still a space for, you know, bands to get to play and for people to, you know, get to visit like when they come, like I I had a fan like recently when we were just out on tour, um, ask me like, you know, what's the, like, if I go to LA, like, where should I go? And I was like, Oh, let me think. And then he just blurted out. He's like the smell. I was like, yeah, go to the smell, check Mm -hmm. it out. And I was like, that's so funny to think that it could be on like a list of somebody's like tourist stops. But I understand why it's truly like, it's an iconic sort of vibe when you're, when you're talking about sort of like an LA independent DIY punk scene. And that's one of the last scenes, right? Like now things that start developing, like start developing, get jumped on right away. But that scene seemed to have a chance to kind of develop off on its own for a while. Yeah. I mean, so many of the venues that like we played our first shows at, like are no longer around. Like the the first Best Coast show was at this place called Echo Curio. And that's been gone for a while. And like all the DIY art spaces, like those have all shut down. and, And it's, you know, it's also, again, really cool to see that the smell has stayed and lasted through this like psychotic gentrification that's happened throughout downtown, you know, like it's really cool to see that, you know, while everything around the smell has changed, the smell has stayed intact and it stayed the smell. It's funny because that's like, yeah, one of the few places where that's like you're saying managed to happen Mm because it's almost like these venues open up and they're the first sign that, you know, the coffee shops and the condos are coming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, It's funny. I remember there was like, there was definitely like 
uh, there was like a club that opened like down the alley from the smell. And I remember when that happened, like we were all just like, Oh dude, it's going to, it's going to get so different down here. And now like years later, it's like you go downtown now and it's like fucking being in New York city. It's like the craziest thing. Like there's a fucking whole foods and you're just like, what is this? Like oh. it went from being a place. Oh yeah. It's, but it's bananas. Yeah. It, it went from being a place that like my mom wouldn't allow me to go <laughs> To where now it's like I couldn't even afford to live there if I wanted to, you know, yeah. <laughs> like it's just so crazy. Last time I was there was like a couple, um, I don't know, a couple months ago and it was just amazing. Like walking down the street, buying a weed pen, then smoking mm-hmm. the weed pen, wandering around till I found the, uh, the, the, um, restaurant I wanted to go to eating at this yeah. crazy restaurant. Like it just was like, this is, uh, a, you know, it's changed and who, who could oh, afford yeah. to live here now? I mean, truly, I don't know. It's it's crazy. <laughs> the first record you played out was on Weird Forest Records, right? Uh, Pocahontas record. Yeah, probably. Mirror Mics, I think, was on. Uh, probably Weird yeah. Forest Records. That's a very interesting fucking label. Oh, I honestly, I'm like, I don't remember. I don't remember. Like, my brain is so like like mushy marshmallows from like <laughs> we've done a lot since then yeah. i've done a lot i also did a lot of fucking drugs so i wiped up a large portion of my brain out um and that time too for me i think like the pocahontas time it was so weird because it was like i was in this band and i was doing this thing but i didn't really ever like it and i was just kind of doing <laughs> it for something to do <laughs> What do you mean? You just didn't like the music you were making or the scene or just everything? I didn't, I didn't really, I mean, it was cool because it was like, again, I was getting, I was like making music with friends and it was really, that, that was really the time that like Bob and I got close and cause Bob was doing a lot of stuff with us. And, um, you know, I felt very much a part. It was awesome. Like we, you know, we opened for fucking Sonic Youth. We like did rad shit, but it was just like, yeah, musically, I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm just like. <laughs> howling and like playing these like crazy like out of out of tune guitars and like wailing on the floor but like again I just was so desperate to be a musician like it was all I wanted was to like be in a band and like play music that getting to do that I was like whatever fuck it I'll fucking do this thing I'll like it's the weirdest thing nobody else is doing it we stand out it's cool and then you know, to go from that band to Best Coast, like people must have just been. And again, that's just that is such a true testament of what I was telling you, like the Candyland board that I was on as far as like music and punk and like all these different things that I was into. Like, look at that. You look at like Pocahontas and then the jump to Best Coast. It's like, what? Like people yeah. were probably like, what the fuck is with this girl? <laughs> <laughs> well, had you always been kind of like writing songs like you do in Best Coast? in the in the on the side or just for yourself had you ever kind of pursued that sound um i mean i was like i started writing songs when i was like 13 and i like had sort of a brief stint with like a a a like singer songwriter kind of vibe like i played some like acoustic coffee shops and things like that when i was like pretty young um and then i had a there was like a lady from i I think it was maybe like Atlantic records or something. She came to one of my shows and she like handed me a business card and was like, you are super talented and you, you deserve a record deal. And I was like, yeah, fucking right. Like, I'm not going to do this because again, I was like, 
just, I was like 15 and I was just, I was like playing this kind of like Cheryl Crowy kind of acoustic singer songwriter stuff. But at home I was listening to like crass and I was like, I don't want to be on Atlantic records. Like, what are you talking about? And so it was kind of like, you know, so I always had an interest in songwriting, but it wasn't really until I moved to New York and then, um, dropped out of college that I was just kind of like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to like go home. I'm going to start writing songs and I'm just going to see what happens. And it worked out for me. So, you know, it, it really, I think music is something that I've always like, has always been something that I, you know, was kind of like, not to be super cheesy, but like, I think it's something I was always meant to do. I think it just Mm. took various shapes and turns and all this stuff that sort of like landed me here with Beth Coast doing what I've been doing for the last 10 years. And, and I think given this whole sort of like what's going on in the world, like, I think it's really made me realize like, I don't ever want to not be playing music. Like I love it so much. And I love the ability to sort of like inspire people through music and to also like get like, we're so fucking lucky that we get to do what we do, that we get mm-hmm. to like tour. And I know you, cause I, you and I, I feel like I've talked about this before. It's like, touring is fucking hard. And it's like, there are times where it's like, this sucks. I just want to be at home. I just want to live a regular ass life. But it's also the coolest thing in the world to like get to go all over the world and play your music for people. And so, I mean, now that I'm fully living a normal ass life where I'm just home every goddamn day, I'm like, dude, I would go back to touring in a minivan in in only the minnesotas you know like i straight up i'm like put me on a midwest only tour in a in like a you know a two-seater and i will do it yeah get me out of here i will do two weeks in germany i'll do two months in germany right now i will do two years in germany two years in germany right now to be freed from my home yes um no i i definitely i totally get that i i definitely totally understand that but also you know you start doing best coast you're still you know young to be finding this band you know and it's like mm-hmm. it's you've only you know you've only had a handful of bands but like had you ever find that that woman that you met from atlantic again because she had a good ear <laughs> that's funny because that's another person who i'm like i wonder like if she it, it's basically like her and then the guy from the record store i'm like i wonder if either of them realize like what happened to me you know so I am you know listen it's like I love I love best coast so much and I love doing what we do and I love Bob and I love being in a band with Bob and I love everything that I've gotten to accomplish with this band but you know I I feel like I, I you know I'm 33 and I'm like I don't know maybe in a you know, a handful of years from now, like maybe I'll want to do something different. Maybe I'll want to try something else. I don't really know like what it's going to look like. All I know is that right now I really truly love this being in this band more than anything. And like, I love the sort of like weird journey that my life took me on to get to this place and sort of like my, my just Candyland board game taste in music has just sort of like allowed me to be the type of person that like just really loves like so much like I never feel so it's always like when people are like what's your favorite kind of music I'm like I don't have a favorite kind of music I just like what I like Mm -hmm. and I think that that really started in sort of my early exposure to just like random shit so 
Bob and I have joked before about doing, you know, we're like, what if we made like a fucking trip hop record? Like, what if we did some weird ass shit later on down the line? It's like, especially right now, I'm like, who knows what's going to come out of me in this fucking quarantine? Like, I might put out a fucking, maybe I'll do my singer songwriter fucking record. Who knows? No, I know. (laughs) Like, I have time. (laughs) I know what you're doing. You're doing Christian hymnals and turning it into scrappy ska punk. So true. I'm going back to my Christian roots. (laughs) I'm trying to get on fucking tooth and nail to finally impress my mom. (laughs) (laughs) That's the move. That's the, that's the epiphany that's got to come out of this thing. It's true. It's true. If the world is really ending, I need to make sure. Yes. on the right side the right side with jesus you got to be picking it up picking it up picking it up for the apocalypse <laughs> it's so true you know that's what, this is it. Um, but i i really you know i like your you're saying like it's it's amazing how you know like it just the creativity that you're afforded playing music where you're just like oh shit and it's also i think so much of that pressure comes from external forces where you're like well i got to do this one thing but really you can do anything yeah. Like you can do whatever you want with music. Yeah, no, it's so cool. And I think especially too, like, you know, for me in this, this position that I'm in where I'm like, you know, I've been doing this band for 10 years now and I'm sort of like, you know, feeling very much like, well, what else can I do now that my sort of like, you know, we just put this record out and now we're like kind of on like, hi- I, you know, a forced bit of a hiatus until everything kind of goes back to normal, which like, you know, most artists are, I've been trying to just come up with other ideas of things to do. Like I started this like weekly radio show where I'm just sitting in my kitchen and like going live on this new platform that YouTube is doing where people can call in and we can have conversations. It's kind of like Frasier. And then I'm like, you know, I've been writing stuff for like potentially a book at some point. Like I've been, I can do, I can be a musician, but I've also been sort of given this ability to like do other stuff outside of my band because of what my band has sort of given me. So it's really cool to sort of be, to be in a position of thinking about like, well, what can I do next? Um, and not feel so like constricted to like, Oh, well I can only do best coast for the rest of my life. Like it feels really cool to be able to just sort of look outside of it and be like, Oh cool. Like there are other like ponds that I can dip my foot into. Where would you put Frasier on your top list of TV shows? <laughs> I fucking love Frasier. Frasier. I've always wanted to talk to you about this. Frasier is like probably, if I had a top five, Frasier is definitely in the top five. It's one of my favorites. It's so funny. I like, I was thinking of actually rewatching it during this period, <laughs> but my dog is obsessed with any animal that she sees on TV, she like runs at the TV and I can't stop <laughs> thinking about how fucking annoying it would be if I was trying to watch Frasier and my dog is just running at, at Eddie the entire time. Like I was like, that'll be really annoying. So unfortunately I've like put it a bit on the back burner. Would you put cheers above Frasier or no, you're putting Frasier before cheers. I gotta be honest. I'm not into cheers. Not into it at all. I'm not into cheers. I like, I've, I've tried to watch cheers and I just was like, it, I struggle with the fact that it never leaves the bar. Like there's something about it never leaving the bar that like really gives it like fucks with my like ADD. <laughs> and I'm like, can we get out of the bar already? <laughs> but then when they do leave the bar on those odd times that they do, um, you're like, oh, yeah. I know. Maybe maybe I should just fucking watch Cheers since there's no animals really in that show. Yeah, there's no animals. They can't have dogs in a bar. 
they're not allowed. They're, they're truly not allowed. Not allowed. By law. Yeah, they're not allowed. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I love I love Fraser. It's like it's one of those shows, shows too that I feel like people people sort of like disregard it because they're like Frasier like that's not a good show and I'm like no it's actually like fucking hilarious yeah it's so self-aware like it's clearly like making fun of bougie people like it's kind of a punk show for being honest because it's basically like they're just making fun of like rich white dudes no it definitely <laughs> it, it I, I go back and I, I watch it every time it's on TV I stay and watch it but I don't know if I could put it for me personally ahead of cheers. Like, mm, okay, um, but it but it is like I've always thought the uh, the obsession with it has always been fascinating because I do think it's a show a weird one to be obsessed with. I love but, it. I know it, it is a bit weird, but no I judgment love it so much. No, no, that's fine. No judgment at all with that um, <laughs> at all at all. But uh, um, also, I kind of want to f- talk to you about that uh, song that you did for True Blood with Iggy Pop. Oh yeah. That was sick. When I saw that on TV, I'm like, oh shit, that's yeah. wild. That was really crazy. I was like, I don't really remember, like, I don't entirely remember, like, when that was. But I was like, I want to say I was like, I was super busy. We were, we were like, it was one of those periods where it was like, we were home for like a couple of weeks and then leaving to go back out on tour. And um, our manager at the time, hit me up and was like, Hey, like the music supervisor for true blood, like really wants you to come in and sing on this song. And by the way, it's a duet with Iggy pop. And I was like, what? (laughs) And he was like, yeah, you got to go like tomorrow. You have to learn it and like be at the studio tomorrow. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. And I like learned the song in like a day. Unfortunately, I didn't get to meet Iggy pop. Like he had already done his vocals and I went in and like, just did my part and then they spliced it together. They sent it to me and then they, they sent me a video when it came, like, I, I want to say like right before it came out, they sent me a video that he had made where he was basically like, Hey Bethany, this is Iggy. Like, he was like, Hey, this is Iggy pop. Like, thanks for singing on the song. I was like, yeah, bro, I fucking know who you are. And like, um, it was just so, it was like so cool. It was such a cool thing like I had a lot of like really sick moments around that era um of time where I was just getting asked to do like really really cool collaborations and really cool things like that um and that's one that is definitely like kind of like mind-boggling where I'm just like I fucking did a duet with Iggy Pop like that's psycho and the song's sick too Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I had, I didn't write it. I had nothing to do with it. All I did was sing on it. So to the writer, I think it was written by the people that just write the music for true blood. Like I don't think it was written by a band. No, I don't think it was either. I think it was, yeah, I think it was like, yeah, it was the music supervisors or something, but no, it's a cool song. It like, it kind of reminds me of like rocket from the crypt or something. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's got that kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Um, well, Bethany, this has been amazing. Would you come back at some point for a part two? For sure. I could talk. Yeah, I have. We'll wait five years. I'll get like yes. five more years of knowledge. And then in five years, I'll come back and we can talk more. <laughs> well, before I let you go, I just kind of want to talk to you because, you know, I, I just kind of experienced it a little bit myself. And I know it kind of fucked with me, but I just want to talk to you about that time where all of a sudden the media just descends upon you and, 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 and all of a sudden you've gone from being like, you know, a, a, a punk kid, a kid just doing it to being on the cover of magazines where people are mm-hmm. all of a sudden putting you into boxes. And, uh, yeah. 
like it because it it fucked with my head like i think coming out of it now like it's been a a, a few more years that i haven't been popular and i was definitely a lot less popular <laughs> but i think i'm now only coming to terms with it where i was like oh shit it even when you try and resist it it's gonna fuck yeah with you. yeah no it's so it's so crazy i mean i basically just had this whole like the press campaign sort of leading up to our last album that just came out in February, like was so much of me having to talk about that because it fucked me up, dude. Like I never thought, I never thought about it because I never had fucking time to think about it. And then as soon as we were done touring our last album, California nights, there was like a big lull in time. And I was just kind of like home a lot. And I was like, you know, just, I, it was like the first time where I wasn't touring and I was just kind of like, all right, cool. Like I just have a regular life now. And it was just like, everything fell on top of me. It was just like every fucking thing that had happened over the last, like, at that point, I think best Coast had been around like five or six years. It was like, all of it just fell directly on top of me. And when you like, when you start a band at the level that best coast is at, or, you know, like, or you being from like a, a punk scene, like you don't ever expect to become some weird celebrity. Mm -hmm. Like you don't expect for people to like recognize you on the street or like, yeah, put you on magazine covers or talk about you. Like it's not something that you feel like comes with what you're doing. You think that that shit is reserved for like, you know, the Katy Perry's of the world. You're like, Oh yeah. Like I never, and again, like I never had to deal with it at that level of, of fame, but it is bonkers what it does to you because it, it's just a level of like people knowing things about you that are just like, wait, I didn't really sign up for this. Like, I didn't really want this. Like, how do I do what I love without having to experience this whole other side of it? And I think now through a lot of work that I've done on myself over the last like three or four years, it's like, I finally have gotten to a place with it where I'm just like, you know what? Like it's, it's all good. I've just had to sort of like shut off the noise of of the like chatter of people sort of like out in the peanut gallery which is hard to do but you know it's yeah it's bananas it's like you don't you don't sign up for it you don't really expect it to happen and and when it does you're just kind of like what the fuck is this and i think being once again removed from that time period as well now it like there was like this sort of uh you know, not that there isn't mass music media now, but it, it, mm -hmm. it just felt like it was a lot more kind of, uh, present in, in a way in music. Yeah. Well, I think for a while it felt sort of almost like it was like, we had our own versions of like tabloids. Yeah. It was like, you know, it was very much like there were sort of like, okay, magazines of the like indie music world. And yeah. I was very much a part of that scene. And like, you know, when Nathan and I were dating, it was like, so it was like, so much of like us as a couple and like all of this shit. And that was so fucking stressful for us as individuals. And also like as people trying to navigate a relationship, like it was just psycho. It was like, why are people talking about these things when literally all we're trying to do is like make music and like live our lives. And, and I, again, I think when you sign up to be like an indie musician or a punk musician or like whatever it is, like, you don't expect that you're going to be some weird like tabloid sensation because you don't yeah. think of those scenes even having that. So it's like, yeah, I'll never fucking like that fucking hipster runoff shit. Like as funny as people thought it was, it ruined my fucking life. Like it really made me 
it really got to me and it really hurt me because it was like, how can people say these horrible things about me? And it's like, and then people are laughing at it. Like it wasn't funny. It was full. It was, did like full damage to me and like my self-esteem and it was really hard. So I feel for anybody that sort of like deals with that shit because it, the internet is a fucking vicious place. Yeah. And it's still, it's obviously still vicious. And I think as a, as a male, a heterosexual identifying male, I don't experience the worst elements of it by far, but I think, I think even from my removal of it, remove this from it, it Mm -hmm. it seems different now than it did then. Like, it seems like you could been, you could get away with being super fucking nasty in, in mainstream places back then. Yeah. And now it does, it does feel different. I think, you know, cause I think also it's like people's, people's shit have shit has kind of shifted to like other stuff. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't, I don't feel, I also think too, it was like, you know, back then I was really, um, I engaged with it a lot. Like I really, I like, you know, if I was being heckled on stage, like I would go off, like I would fucking yell back at somebody and I would like, say crazy shit. And I would like yell at people after shows. And I, I engaged in it because again, it wasn't something that I knew how to handle, but now I sort of understand that it's like, I don't fucking respond to shitty comments. I don't like, if someone yells something shitty to me, I don't ever like, I just, I'm just like, nah, like I'm good. I've had to sort of like create boundaries for myself around that type of behavior. But yeah, it does feel, it does feel like, a bit different, even though the world itself feels kind of like a disaster. <laughs> yeah. At least the internet's a little nicer now because we all have to live there all the time. Yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like the world around us is fully crumbling, but it seems like there are like less mean trolls in the indie rock world. <laughs> yes, that's, hey, equal trade, right? Like that's what it's we true. are. It's know? true. It's true. <laughs> Uh, well, this has been awesome. And as I say, anytime you want to come back, even if it is before five more years, <laughs> you're always welcome here. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Beth, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Beth will be back for a part two at some point in the next five years. But before we get to her part two, we got a lot more episodes to get to, like on the next episode of Turned Out of Punk, I am joined by my buddy, Mike Weeb of the great Riverboat Gamblers and of the amazing Draculas who have a brand new record out right now, one of the greatest front people of all time. And we go, we go deep, deep into Denton, Texas punk history and, and it's a it's a great episode. <laughs> I love episodes where I get to dive in and find out about a bunch of bands that I had no idea were connected, that they are connected. And that's what we do next week on the show. Uh, Dracula's also features good friend of the show, sometime, sometimes my co-host on this show, too. Zach Blair's in the band, and they've got a brand new record out on Dynalone Records. So pick that thing up. Check it out. Well, I guess you can't physically go out and pick it up, but order that thing to your house Listen to it on streaming service because it fucking rips. And uh, and that's it. I guess I'll see you next week on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, go out there and make your own culture. We'll stay inside and make your own culture. Sign your organ donor card. Stay safe. Stay well. And uh, I'll see you on the next episode. Bye. <laughs>